0: All right, if you would take your Bible and turn, we start a new sermon series today through the book of Job. Job chapter 1, verse 1, is where we'll pick up here in just a minute. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 576 in that pew Bible, 576. We'll get to Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 here in just a minute. In August, actually I'll be celebrating a... Uh, anniversary later this week, uh, in August 2007, so that is, uh, was it, 16, 17 years ago, uh, I was struck by lightning. Now many of you are aware of this event and the impact that it's had on my life. For those of you who aren't aware of that, that testimony is on our website. I recorded it in, uh, in 2017. And you can go and find that uh, under the Testimonies tab on our website. About three weeks after this event, after being struck by Lightning, so we're in late August of 2007, and I was standing in my Sunday school class at the time, teaching my Sunday school class, and we were reading from the book of Job. And we read Job 36, 32. Says, Job 36, 32 says this, He covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike. And I was stunned as I read that out loud in my class. And I recall saying out loud, and if you were in my class, and a number of you were all those years ago, I remember saying out loud, He hit me on purpose. (laughs) You see, Job 37 verse 3 states, He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightnings to the end of the earth. Note that the lightning belongs to the Lord. In Job 38, 35, Scripture, God is questioning Job, and he says to Job, Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Over and over again, God controls the lightning. And when you recognize that Almighty God takes an action to get your attention, a wise man stops and asks God what he desires. My testimony, as I share it over time, includes this lightning strike as but another act of God to get my attention and to further me along the path that led to my full-time call into the ministry, which occurred in October of 2010. Now, while I have not yet arrived as to where God wants me, I am thankful that God has a plan for me and that he is committed to that plan and therefore committed to me, regardless of the specific circumstances that I may go through in life. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 might be a good thing if you're a note taker, write that down. It says, being confident of this very thing That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That verse says that God will be working in you to bring about his good purpose until the day of Christ. Until the moment that Jesus comes back, God has committed to be working in you if you come to know him as Savior. And this understanding has shaped how I view Everything else that comes into my life, the good and the hard. And I am confident, not in me, but in God completing his work in me. So I ask you to stand with me as we begin today our study through the book of Job. Let's stand together. I'm going to read Job chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Said there was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and "...that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses." each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt uh, burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts, and thus Job did regularly. You may be to Keep your scripture open. I pray that you'll begin a new tab in your notes talk through the series of Job. Now, most consider, most historians, most biblical scholars consider Job to be one of the oldest, if not the oldest written book of the Bible. Job is considered to, by most to have lived in the patriarchal time, which is another way of saying Job was a contemporary of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But Job, scripture tells us, lived in the land of Uz. And I can tell you that the land of Uz is probably about where the country of Jordan exists today. But where the land of Uz isn't is in the land of Israel. It is not. So Job lives in a place different than Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So therefore, there are no scriptural storyline connections that connect Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to Job. Job existed over here, and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the rest of history as we know it through the creation of Israel all the way through, existed over there. But God knew Job, and God loved Job. Job. And somehow, just that very statement that even though Job was not in God's plan for Israel, Job was in God's plan. And so we can learn a lot as we talk through the book of Job. So today we begin a journey. About Job. And I've mentioned this to a few people prior to this morning that, hey, we're going to begin a sermon series through the book of Job. And nobody has said, I am so glad. I went home and I said, Angela, we're going to start a sermon series through the book of Job. And her statement was, well, that's going to be dreary. Job, the book, and Job, the man, carries a stigma. It's a hard book, a book that creates more questions than it may answer. It's a book of challenges. So all week, I just sort of kept this little piece of paper. What are some questions that I hear that might come from the book of Job? Let me list any of these and see if you've ever asked any of these. Would God actually allow bad things to happen in my life? Would God actually cause bad things to happen in my life? Where is God in my suffering? Why does God not intervene to stop things like this? What kind of God would allow things like this to happen? If God is truly loving, why would he allow evil to impact me? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? I thought suffering was a result of my own sin. Why do righteous people have to suffer? Is God worthy of worship even when times are hard? Is God fair? Now, if you've not thought one of those questions before, you know somebody who has. And so the book of Job, these kinds of questions are separator questions. They separate us from God until we come to a place where we get answers from God about these. And the book of Job will create some tough questions, but I believe that the book of Job will also create some good answers. Why? Because Job is part of God's word. God has seen to it that we get the book of Job. It's part of the Bible. Therefore, it's part of God's revelation of himself to us that through studying it, we should come to know him better, be drawn closer to him, and encounter him more in this book and in life. You see, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 tells you this. All of God's word is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The book of Job is an awesome part of God's word to us. It probably gets short-sheeted a little bit in this world because it might be dreary, it might be hard, it might be challenging, but church, we're going to do it because God has given it to us. Therefore, we will seek to study all the books of Job. You know, I did a little research. Most people will... They'll preach Job in the beginning, they'll preach Job at the end, and they'll go, we've done preach Job. And they leave out all the dreary in the middle. Let me tell you, that's like eating an Oreo and eating this chocolate piece over here and this chocolate piece over here and going, ooh, yuck, I don't want that creamy white stuff in the middle. Why eat an Oreo if you're not going to benefit from what's in between? And so Job, church, you're going, Jeff, did you just call Job an Oreo? I sure didn't mean to, but yeah. We're going to study the whole thing. It has 42 chapters. And some of you right now are going, how long were we going to be in the book of Job? I'll be honest with you. I have no idea. But the God who loves us, the God who sent his son for us, the God who has provided all of this, including the book of Job, to us, tells us it's all important. And God believed that we needed 42 chapters of the book of Job to understand what the book of Job has for us. So I encourage you to join me. Yes, I want to see you every week in service as we walk through these messages. But what I really want you to do is also join me in reading and studying this book in the days in between. You see, what we do on Sundays between 10 and 11 is great, but it's what you do beginning after service all the way to the beginning of the next service that really tells what God's going to do with you because of this book. Join me in asking your questions that they come, that God brings to your mind. Join me in finding the answers as we question and study God's Word together. Allow God to teach you more about Him. The book of Job, that's where it's going to be for a little while for us, and, and I'll tell you, it's brought me already to a new sense of praying and seeking, and I'll let you know that only seven or eight times since I felt God lead me to preach through the book of Job, has God confirmed it to me, and he has confirmed it to me through many of you, because not only is Job a good book that God's given to us, to many, it's a timely book of what we face and what we walk through, And God has something for us. Amen? So verse 1, let's just jump right into it. It says, there was a man named Job. Now, in Hebrew, this name means persecuted one. In Arabic, this name means repentant one. And both names are appropriate for this man and for this book. Verse 1 goes on to say, there was a man. I actually went backwards. There was a man. We need to understand, church, Job is a real person who went through real challenges in life. Job was a faithful believer in God. Let me give you a little historical perspective. Here if you're a note taker, you can write down that Paul, the apostle Paul, twice in his letters quoted from the book of Job. He did so in Romans 11:35 and he did so in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 19. Imaginary people do not write books of the Bible that are then referenced by books of the Bible. Job was a real person. James speaks of Job in James chapter 5, verse 11. and says this, Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard in the, of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. James speaks of Job. Job was considered a righteous Or a righteous man by God. And scripture teaches that he was compared, his righteousness was compared with that of Daniel and Noah. Make this note, I'm just going to read it to you right here, but Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 14 to 20, you can read that, but I'm just going to read the first verse to you. It says, Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. Now, Ezekiel's talking about the judgment of God, and he says that even if these three faithful men, and in verses 14 to 20 of Ezekiel chapter 14, these men are mentioned three times. Even if Daniel and Noah and Job, even if Daniel and Noah and Job, and even if Daniel and Noah and Job, and their righteousness, they would only take care of themselves. That's God saying, their righteousness has come before me. And it is good. Church, can I just remind you, Job was a real man. This is not a story fictionalized for some kind of story or impact in our lives. Job's a real man. A real man named Job lived in a real place named Uz, who knew and served a real God. Now, we are told four things about Job here in verse 1. So, If you're a note taker, I'm getting ready to give you four statements about Job. Number one, what it says, verse one, he was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. I just gave you four characteristics that God's word says about Job. Let's talk about them for just a second. First of all, Job was blameless. Now, blameless church does not mean perfect, does not mean sinless. As Job confesses in his book, his own sins within this book. Blameless would speak to being genuine and authentic. Job not only claimed to know the Lord, but he lived as the Lord commanded him to live. God had said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, walk before me and be blameless. Psalm 119, verse 1 says, proclaims a blessing on those whose way is blameless. An old... Rabbi's statement said this, and you can refer it to Job, that, his, that Job's within was like his without. A saying today might be, what you see is what you get. Job's work, his words, his deeds were a direct reflection of his heart toward God, and God called Job blameless. And this word blameless will again come up in the book of Job as we study it further. Not only was Job blameless in verse 1, he's called upright. And you're going, Jeff, isn't upright and blameless the same thing? Technically, no. This word shifts from blameless is about your relationship with God, how God saw Job. Upright is how Job lived this blameless life with his interactions with other people. Have you ever known somebody who Claims to live for the Lord, but their actions do not back it up. Job was blameless, lives for the Lord, but his actions, upright, backed it up with his dealings with other people. He was upright and straightforward in his relationships. You could count on Job to keep his word. Job was blameless. Job was was upright. Verse 1 goes on to say that he was a man who feared God. Now, we are not certain how much Job actually knew about God. We see a number of things that Job did that people that faithfully believe in God do. But we know that Job had reverence for God, had a piety before God, had a bowing down before God who made the world. He honored God and gave thanks to him. And I want you to write this down. I'm going to turn right there, but... Write down this scripture. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 22, says this. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. But we see from Job's life, being blameless and being upright, and the things that we will learn more about him, that Job glorified God. Job saw God's attributes in this world. Job was thankful, and Job allowed his heart to be transformed by God. He was wise. We later see in the book of Job that Job knows God to be sovereign and to be just. So Job was blameless. He was upright, a man who feared God. And then it goes on to say this fourth quality, and he shunned evil. As he lived his life, he resolutely stayed on the straight path. Scripture might call this the narrow path. And he turned away from opportunities to sin. Think about this, shunning evil. Sin could also be seen as Job, as Job turned from sin. Church, do you know what the definition of turning from sin is? It's called repentance. Job lived his life in a fashion that daily he would turn from sin and turn to God. He would repent before God. And somehow this makes the cycle of his life make sense. Because if you're blameless before God, it's because you've repented. So if you repent and come clean before God, you're blameless before God. Because you're blameless before God, you'll live a life that is upright before men. And then you will choose to fear and understand who God is, and then you'll be in this cycle. What a great cycle that each of us should be in to be repentant before God. Job, while not perfect is presented to us as a genuine believer whose life was genuine in its integrity upright in its relationships pious in his worship and penitent in his behavior in church I can we can look the word over and those will describe a faithful believer in God verse 3 says that Job was the greatest of all the people of the east you see Job would be seen as a success by Almost every measure. He had a large united family. It said that he had seven sons and three daughters. He lived in houses. If you go and talk about when we see what happens, because, see, I understand that I'm, I want to encourage you. Don't go this far in Job. Stay right here in Job. Let's walk through it together. But we know that he lives in houses because of some of the things we know that happens. So he lives in houses and not tents. He's the farmer. Not a wanderer or a nomad. He has a large estate. He is successful. Influential in the community. If we were to go to Job 29 verse 7, we will see that Job took his seat regularly at the gate, which means that he was not just seen well. He was counted on and influential at the gate, which is where business and judgment and and things would happen in that area. He had plenty of wealth. Notice when you talk about Job's wealth, this is a timestamp, church, that you need to understand. When you measure a man's wealth by how many of how much of what things they had, as you notice that he had right here, you're going back to pre-law days. You're going back to Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. Remember how they were counted by how much they had, not what his bank account said. So that's a good, the way they described his wealth also gives you a time stamp as to when all of this is occurring. And it's pretty amazing that Job was all of these things and we are back in a time before God made his promise to Abraham, before the promised child of Isaac, before slavery, before Exodus, promised land, all of these things. We're, we're early in the time of all of these things. Verses four and five, let's look at those real quickly. Covering his family before God. Now, if we read these, we would break this down. I did a little bit of research and studying on here. Family feasts, they would regularly have family feasts. Scripture defines this as the appointed day, and it leads us to believe that On the appointed day of each of Job's seven sons, they would inaugurate a family feast. Now, I can't know what I'm getting ready to say, but I'm not the only person who says this. Many think that it might have been their birthday. The day that their life began, they then celebrated in a big family way, and I'm going, well, that's cool. That's what our family does. And so we can sort of see what's happening here, and it says that they would get to... To do this, but look what happens. They have these feasts, and then after they were over, remember we read the Scripture, we're in verse 4 and 5. You can sort of see where I'm pulling from. After the feast days, Job would rise up early. The first day after the feast was over, he would rise up early, he would call all of his children together, and he would seek to sanctify them before the Lord. Scripture says that he would offer burnt sacrifices according to the number of them all. And here's what I have imagined this being, he's got these seven sons and the daughters, and he either did this ten times or seven times, I don't really know, but he said, first son, this sacrifice is coming up before the Lord for you. Second son, this one, for you. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Job is coming before and sacrificing in a time before sacrifices were even things that we came to know about. That's awesome that Job knew God well enough to know that sin needed to be repented from, turned from, and sacrificed for. Church, this is awesome how old this is, but how true it is. But they had this for every single one of them. And Job did this, verse 5 says, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Now, it's very interesting what Job's... He says, I know my sons have acted right. See, when you're going, they may have cursed God in their hearts, Job's going, their actions have been okay. These weren't wild and crazy parties where a lot of negative and sinful things were happening. These are things where Job is saying, I'm going to come regularly before my children in the case that in their hearts they have cursed God. And when you go and you curse God, is that saying, well, you said a lot of bad words about God and used his name in vain? I think when you get right down to the real, what cursing God means, it's going acting as if he is unimportant. Acting as if God is not of value. And Job, who lives a life of being blameless and upright, Job, who... Fears the Lord and shuns evil. Allows that to come through in the way that he even seeks to cover his family and what he teaches them. Job knows that it's the heart and not the actions that define the true life lived for the Lord. Job, look at the end of verse 5 right there. It says, thus Job did regularly. Can you imagine his son number three was planning his birthday party and he was inviting all the family over and they all started going, yeah, and you know what dad's going to do come tomorrow? Dad's going to call us all together and we're going to have this. Do you know that probably became part of the time of celebration? Job did it regularly. It became what he was known for among his family. So by many different standards, God's word says that Job was the greatest of all the people in the East. Now I've mentioned to you where this is not. This is us this is not in Israel or the Promised land since this is pre-Israel days. He's over in a place that typically looks like the country of Jordan right now. and all of that area to the east. Remember, we, when we talk about the birth of Jesus, they came. the wise men came from the east. The east is a big place. This is not some kind of world where everybody lives within 15 miles of Job and the rest of the world is uninhabited. No, there are people in the east, and Job, by God's standard, is the greatest of all of them. And can I tell you that if the book of Job were one chapter... And five verses long, we would love it. Because it seems correct to us that the righteous flourish, that do well. You go, man, I love that. Our problem is, is we know Job because of what's next. And we needed to take time to understand clearly today the context of what next happens in and we're talking about a really good guy now scripture gives us additional insight on the book of or on the man of job i've referred to this i'm going to read it to you but if you're going to note taker james chapter 5 verses 10 and 11 i've already got it written down here but james chapter 5 verses 10 and 11 says my brethren take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who have endured. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Did you see that James is referring to Job as a prophet from outside of Israel? And when we get to refer to him as a prophet, as Scripture supports we need to understand that it's probably okay for us to view Job as a prophet. And if Job is a prophet, then that means that Job's life was being led by the Spirit of Christ. You're going, okay, fill that in. Here's take, Write this verse down. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. I've already got it right here. Write that in your notes. 1 Peter 1, 10 and 11. It says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified before the suffering of Christ of the glories that would follow. Job James says "Is a prophet as a prophet. That means that he was sent by God to speak by God to carry on part of God's revelation of the gospel. That's what prophets did. Job the man, Job the book, must be viewed with the gospel backdrop always kept in context. Because we tend to read Job and go, oh, that's a dreary book. God says, let me tell you, I gave you 42 chapters of how to know me, how to seek me, how to love me. And I gave it to you from a guy who lived well, whom I count as part of my revelation team to help you come and know who I am. So church, as we walk into this, this just sets the foundation for us to move forward. But that's where it begins to turn as well. Read a quote from The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It says this, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ-suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death And we give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with God. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Martin Luther's who had to leave the monastery to go out into the world. But it is the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. And this is what causes Job to be such a challenging book. Because if we stop at verses 1 through 5, we love Job. But Job is 42 chapters long and verse chapter 1 is not done yet but what causes job to be such a challenging book is because we don't want the gospel to be this hard we don't want the gospel to be this demanding this costly scripture teaches us that there will be troubles jesus said in john 16:33 these things i have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The reason we are challenged with the book of Job, I I thought about it, and I have these two, I'm not going to dive way, way deep, but I'm going to have these two, I think it, it challenges the gospel of the current day. That's why we don't like Job. You see, Job brings to a crashing halt the prosperity gospel that many love to follow. The prosperity gospel in its crudest form is the message that God wants you to be rich, and if you trust Him and ask Him, He will make you rich. A quote from Christopher Ashe says this, So that is the prosperity gospel. If I am poor and I come to Jesus, He will make me rich. If I am sick and I pray to Jesus, He will make me well. If I want, have want for a wife or a husband and I ask Jesus for one, Jesus will give me a wife or a husband. If a couple wants children and call out to Jesus, Jesus will give them children, and so on. This, according to the prosperity gospel, is what He, God, promised. It is surrounded, or it is centered around objective receiving. The prosperity gospel is all about gimme, gimme, gimme. And church, if you're not bought into that, you know somebody who is bought into that, that believes that when they pull around and a close-up parking spot opens up, that's God being good to them. Let me tell you, God is good to us through Jesus on the cross. I don't care if you have to park at the back of Walmart and walk a quarter mile in there, God is still good. But Job, he crushes the prosperity gospel. And you know why? It's just not true. And when we crush the prosperity gospel, we're going, ah, ah, I'm not reading Job. Job was a righteous man, but he didn't prosper. The second gospel that it attacks of today is it brings to again a crashing halt what is termed the therapeutic gospel. That many follow. You see, many people go, I'm prosperous. I have enough food. I have a place, a shelter. I have a car. I have a family. I have all these things. So the therapeutic gospel is the gospel of self-fulfillment. Its aim is not gimme, gimme, gimme. Its aim is make me feel good. The therapeutic gospel is structured to give people what they want, not change what they want. It centers around the welfare of man and his happiness, and it discards the glory of God in Christ. I read this quote in speaking, or somebody speaking about the therapeutic gospel. I want to feel loved for who I am and be pitied for what I have gone through to feel intimately understood and to be accepted unconditionally. And the book of Job from a prophet, part of the backdrop of the gospel shows us that the therapeutic gospel is just not true. The book of Job will call us into the presence of God. And it will allow us to know him better. And it will invite us to yield more completely to him and to live a life more purposefully driven. In a word, Job brings up, You're going to write this word down. Theodicy. Theodicy. T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y. The definition of a theodicy is this. The vindication of divine goodness and providence in view of the existence of evil. In Job, we're going to answer these questions. Can God be good and me still have trouble? Can God be all that he says he is and evil and suffering still exist? And I look forward to this journey together. Now, church, I'll tell you, this is going to be hard. And I encourage you, read this week, pray this week, study Job this week. And you're going, Jeff, how far are you going to go next week? Church, can I tell you that I've been reading and studying and praying, and I'm going to be doing the same thing when I show show up in the morning. And by Wednesday, I'll tell you how far. But until then, church, read and pray. Read and pray. God has something for you in his book of Job. Amen? I pray that you desire it as much as I do. But we need to understand the context. Next week when we pick up on Job, we're going to be picking up life in a man whose life has got it going on. You know, people think they got it going on for all, all the wrong reasons these days. I One final story. I had a... Uh, Lady this week who had a need for food, and I had the opportunity to speak with her. And she was going on, she said, For the first time in my life, I've got it all going on. I'm single again, I've got a place to live. I think I finally figured it out. Which told me she's coming out of a broken relationship. And church, she was there because she didn't have food to eat. It's an amazing thing how we can define what success looks like and think we got it all going on. And at the same time, I've spoken with a number of church members that you guys are facing some real hard moments. Tests, surgeries, cancers treatments. Some we've known about. Some have just happened this week. And I know that the timeliness of the book of Job is going to be there for every single one of us. And it's my prayer that you walk with me as we walk into a really God-given journey. Amen. When we come out of the book of Job, here's what I'll promise if you walk all the way through you will see God differently. And how do I know that? Because Job did. Amen?